Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Hold My Dream, where we navigate the news and politics with a chaser of civility. I'm your host, Jen, inviting you to grab your favorite beverage, sit back, and imagine with us how to create a new American identity together. Welcome to this week's Hold My Drink and Counterweight podcast with my co-host, David Birdstein. Today, we have Debbie Hayton with us. And Debbie is a physics teacher, a trade unionist, a journalist, a prolific writer. We have a lot of stuff to discuss, Debbie. Thank you for joining us today. And before we get started, first question is, did we bring anything to drink for this conversation? Debbie, did you bring anything to the table? I know it's late there. I brought a beer. <laughs> it's nice. about the third of the evening, yes. It's <laughs> we have some catching up to do then. <laughs> yeah. David, what about you? <laughs> this is very embarrassing, but I brought, I'm not even sure, Debbie, you know what this is, a diet Mountain Dew. And I thought about <laughs> lying about it and saying it was some kind of elaborate drink, but this is sort of an anti-lying show. So I decided to <laughs> be honest and authentic. But that's what I'm drinking. That's what we had in the house. Mountain Dew, that is just like that's that's I don't know. I don't know. That's they, well retro in a way. Yeah. I see I'm 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 catching up with, with Debbie because I've got my my typical glass of Pinot Noir. So Debbie, I'm I'm with you here. Um, <laughs> so Debbie, you have um gotten yourself uh there's been some controversy about some of the things that, that you write about and some of the issues um that you stand for. So really I think my first question for you is who is Debbie Hayton? And, um, you know, where do you stand in this world, particularly in, in relationship to a lot of the transgender communication and conversation? Well, I'm Debbie Hitt, and as you said before, I'm a teacher. I'm a, I'm a trade union officer. I, I, live, I live a normal life. Uh, I, uh, I transitioned uh, male to female in 2012, so that's getting on for 10 years ago. Okay. And my aim was to uh, keep my job and to stay out of the newspapers. That was the aim, which kind of worked for about uh, four or five years. And then I got increasingly concerned about some of the activism that I was seeing, which I thought was uh, counterproductive, unhelpful, and based upon things that were wrong. So I started opening my mouth and uh, refused to shut it. <laughs> so what would you say, what was it about, so it's been about 10 years since you transitioned approximately, but you said about four or five years, you kept your mouth shut. <laughs> what, what, I mean, what do you think in the past four to five years that, that really, I mean, you said there was a couple of things that you saw going on. Why, Why what's, what's happening in our world that has created this new conversation? Yeah, it's, it's, things changed quite a lot uh, around five or six years ago. Some people mark it by Caitlyn Jenner's uh, transition. Mm-hmm. It, it sort of hit the newspapers. We, we, were, we lived in the shadows until then that uh, nobody really cared too much about, about us, what we were up to. Uh, and I transitioned really to, uh, to improve my mental health. It, it had got worse and worse and worse and worse. And... It was, this is what I read. This was a way of, of uh, you know, solving psychological issues. And I did, and it did, and it all worked out. But uh, it was, a, you know, it was a, a personal thing which I did to improve my mental health. Uh, it then became something almost like a, 
a civil rights issue. You know, it, it had been a it had been a medical issue, a clinical issue until about five or six years ago. Then it it blew up and became a huge thing. And I wasn't really quite sure why, but other campaigners were campaigning with, you know, just this sense of entitlement, which was huge. You know, rather than, you know, saying that not that uh, just, uh, you know, we're, we're here to be treated not less favorably than anybody else, just to get on with life, keep our jobs, uh, bring up our families. Suddenly there seemed to be more of a sense of entitlement that people felt that, uh, uh the, the universe revolved around them, which uh, I didn't think was good. And I uh, I opened my mouth to object to it. <laughs> and then you haven't, uh, you, you keep writing to, to this day. I mean, you've, you, you've become quite a prolific writer on the, particularly on the trans issue. I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, Caitlin, your ideas on, on Caitlin Jenner. I mean, that's something here in the US, you know, she's running now for, um, governor it's governor yeah she um and she's caught her own uh pushback if you will uh what are your thoughts on on her and how she, what waves she's making in the united states yeah i i wrote about caitlin jenner uh mm -hmm. last week actually because of the comments about uh sport and caitlin's absolutely right you know when in those comments about sport and, it, and people who have thought about the situation tend to come to the same conclusions. Uh, you know, there's other people in history. There was Rennie Richards, who was one of the few transsexuals that I'd heard of when I, when I was growing up. And Rennie uh, played on the female tennis circuit in the 1970s, but now has come to say that really only got away, you know, it worked because by the time that Rennie transitioned, there were you know, they, they, they passed their prime. But, uh, you know, she said that if she if she was playing in a prime, there was no way that women could, uh, would, would be able to match her. And uh, these things, everybody knows this, but people don't want to open their mouths and talk about it because uh, you, you're just in danger of uh, upsetting people. And, people. and the people who you're gonna upset when they do get upset, you know about it. And most people want a quiet life, I guess, so they don't talk their mouths. What do you think about this? Let's talk about um, sports and this issue with you know, competition. Is there a solution in your mind to this this uh, conundrum? And if so, what what is it for? So if you are you know, a, a, a trans man, uh, or I'm sorry, trans woman playing sports against, uh, you know, other biologically, or whatever. Yeah. what is the word, natally born? I don't know, I'm not, sorry. my that woman's uh, fine. Yeah, um, uh, what, 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 what would you say to people who want to, I mean, I think that they're, if you want to play sports, that's great, but should there be a different league? I mean, what, what, what are some solutions that we're not even thinking about right now? I mean, it's always, like everything in the world, it's either or, you know, you either play or you don't. Well, why do we segregate sports at all? Let's just not segregate. Let everybody play together. There you go. See, I hadn't mm. even thought of that one. <laughs> but one sex isn't going to win very much. Mm. Right. And, then, and, and there is your problem. The reason why we uh, segregate sports is that to uh, give uh, women fair competition, 
uh, fair opportunity. And also for matters of safety, men tend to be bigger, stronger, heavier. And uh, right. so there's a safety issue as well. So that's why we uh, segregate sport. Not for any ident, not not to validate anybody's identity, but purely through fairness and uh, and and safety. So you could say, why why segregate sport? Yes, we do have to segregate sport. But how about we create we we retain that open category that everybody can compete in, should they wish to, but then take a separate category for uh, biological females. We call it women's sports. That's what we have for mm-hmm. goodness' sake. Uh, and then. In the open category, men can compete in the open category, mm-hmm. uh, but the female, the women's category is close to biological females, women, mm-hmm. uh, who haven't taken any advantage through hormone therapy, whatever. So you're left with a, an open category in which men can compete, mm-hmm. which uh, trans women can compete. Uh, trans men who have taken testosterone can compete, all in the open category, but you're reserving a separate category for for women with biologically female bodies who haven't taken any testosterone. So in that in that category, you would have trans men who haven't taken any hormone therapy would be quite happy to compete in that category. And that, I think, is about as fair as what you can get. Uh, you could call it open category, female category, whatever. But... Uh, yeah. It's important to keep that that reserve category for biological females because otherwise they're not going to win very much. Right, and particularly so, in oh, sorry, David, I'll oh, just wrap that yeah, one up. Go ahead, sure. Particularly in sports like you know where we've seen the most damage, wrestling, that are more um, contact sports where we've seen uh, you know women, biological women get you know very hurt when competing. So I love that idea. That I mean that, that an open category. I mean. It seems so like Eureka Elementary and we can't we can't seem to even talk about finding that middle ground. I mean, an open category. That's yeah. Okay, yeah sorry, David. But, sorry. It's okay. Go ahead. Go yeah. ahead, Yeah, but that's the it's solutions like that that we're looking for. And then you think where do trans rights come in? As a trans woman, I don't really want to be changing and showering with men. So you know, if we're looking for trans rights, I am a trans, you know, I'm a transgender rights campaigner. Uh, what you should be looking for there is separate facilities so that you don't have to change and shower with men. Now that costs money, but that's what I would say is as trans people will fight mm-hmm. for those extra rights. And also, you know, with the best with the best will in the world, uh, the edge, my, my, talk about my performance in sport is, uh, <laughs> has to be seen rel- relatively, you know, I, yeah, but you could argue that the edge has been taken off my performance and other trans women who have uh, taken hormone therapy, so have separate record keeping as well, so you'd have the fastest time run by a, a trans woman who's, you know, whose uh, hormones levels were below a certain level, if you see what I mean. So you're, you are asking something of society. You are saying, look, we want you to build some extra training facilities here, mm-hmm. and we want you to record these extra, uh, extra stats, extra records, but we're not, we're not imposing on another group that uh, needs protecting, which is women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want to see if we can uh, nail down some terminology here. Um, so we, we agree that there's something called uh, biological sex, that you're born a male or a female, and that you don't, that doesn't change because you go through an operation or hormonal therapy treatments. Um, 
That said, one can argue, and one many do, that gender, which is not the same as biological sex, is socially constructed. And so therefore, one can say, I've changed my gender from male to female or female to male, and that you should respect that because you're, you should be uh, a respectful human being. And if I tell you that I've changed my gender from male to female, you should, you should honor that. How, do you, how does that comport with your thinking? Well, what do you what do you mean by uh, this gender? What what is this gender, David? You talk about change your gender. What 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 do you do to change your gender? Well, if if gender is socially constructed, and I'm I think there's an argument, by the way, of whether it's partially socially constructed, completely socially constructed, um, not socially constructed at all, completely a derivative of biology. But let's say it is socially constructed for a second then you might say, well, if it is, then, then it's something that you are assigned at birth that happens to correspond with your biological sex, but it's also separate from your biological sex. And if you feel you're female and you live like a female, then why does society have a vested interest in calling you a male? And but why how, can't- How can you feel female? What, what does this mean? But I'm, I'm, I'm playing a bit of devil's advocate. Yeah, sure. When I transitioned 10 years ago, I thought I was some kind of woman. I really did. I wouldn't have done it otherwise. I had this idea that inside my head, I had a female brain, female soul, whatever you want, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and that's that's and that gave me almost permission to myself to transition. Uh, but it, it it's nonsense. You know, so you don't you don't feel female. No, I just feel like I just feel like me. I, I I've no mm -hmm. I, I can only know my own experience of living in my own body. Can you um, describe describe that a little bit? Like what do you feel now when it comes to sort of gender valence? Um can you give some expression to that? I just I just feel like me. And uh -huh. and to to say that you feel this was a challenge that was was often asked to me, you know, what does it mean to say that you you're you're a woman, Debbie? Was I just I, I feel happier being treated as a woman so how do we then need to treat you as a woman do we need to uh what do we have to do differently how do we treat men and women differently and if you're not careful you end up being defined by uh by i'd say gender or sexist stereotypes you know and that's what you end up being defined by and i don't i don't think i don't think it's healthy i think mm. that as individuals we shouldn't be restricted by sexist stereotypes and we shouldn't be restricted by uh you know, the expectations we have on ourselves and other people have on us about how we should present on the mm -hmm. basis of our sex. So as a as a male person, yeah, as a man, if you want to call me a man, it doesn't bother me. I, I should be able to grow my hair long. I should be able to wear dresses. I should be able to, uh, as an adult, modify my body so that it more closely resembles a woman's body. And I'm, more, I'm much more comfortable with it like this. But it doesn't mean that I'm female or I... Uh, I feel female. I've no right. idea what it feels like to feel female. <laughs> but but let's say that so that you're you're giving voice to your own personal experience. But there might be somebody else who's trans who um, does feel or say at least that they feel female or male. Should I guess the question is for the rest of us who didn't experience gender dysphoria, who haven't gone through such a transition in life. Should we respect their self-definition that way, what they asked to be called in the way that they asked to be thought of? How would you, what, what would you say to those of us who 
have no dog in this fight in a way. Like I have no reason to deny you your self-definition if in fact you want to be called female, even if you were natally a male. Yeah, you see, we we the, the situation seems to have changed completely. When I when I transitioned, the uh, the the test of a successful transition was the sex people took you for in the street. When, when you went up to a stranger, uh, uh, and you were talking to people who didn't know you, which which pronouns would they use naturally? Would they use male pronouns or female pronouns? And you knew you were doing something right if they used female pronouns. So you thought, oh, I, I, I'm doing something right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, being being directed to the bathrooms as well. That that was another thing. So you just asked mm. you, you know, where's, where's the bathrooms? Uh, they would direct you uh, to the women's rather than the men's. That also was uh, was uh, was 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 a test. And but what that was, it was uh, it was observations of how you were actually presenting to the world. Whereas we seem to be in a position now where. People don't change the way they present to the world, so they don't necessarily make that change themselves, but they demand that other people change the way they think, and that's very different. And for somebody who comes along and and says, I demand that you treat me in the same way as, you you, you basically you give me female pronouns and you treat me the same way as a woman you assume I'm a woman and I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to put I'm not going to change the way I present to the world I'm certainly not going to uh, change my body at all then that that's that puts everybody else in in a really big form of, of cognitive dissonance mm. and it's a big ask to ask the rest of the world to change their way of thinking to uh, uh, to help help you out without making that uh, that uh, effort yourself to meet society halfway. So uh, when people say, you know, these are my these are my pronouns, uh, I yeah, you do try to uh, you, you do try to be kind to people, but it's it's not easy, and uh, I wouldn't expect it to be easy. And uh, if people get it wrong, and sometimes people get people, uh, you know, people use both pronouns. For me, some people call me she, her. Some people call me he, him. I'm past the point of caring actually. For me, what matters to me is how I feel about myself, uh, how I feel about my body, and uh, I'm comfortable with that. That's what I transition for, for me to feel comfortable with my own body. What everybody else thinks is, is right. secondary. Uh, so if if I was relying on other people to validate me, then you're really vulnerable to anybody who uh, doesn't want to play along. So... We have a friend, Jennifer and I, Xander Keeg, who is a transgender male, natal female, as he would say. Um, he's very open and and uh, about about these issues. He's not one of the people who tries to you know impose an ideology on everyone else. He helps us sort of think about it in nuanced ways. And um, and Xander looks very much like a natal male. I mean, a big beard, balding, voice is deep. I, I've only known Xander um, as a male, and um, and I can't even, if I tried, think of Xander as a female. Um, and if Xander asked me to think of, uh, to, to use the pronouns he, him, first of all, I, I, I don't, you know, there's nothing about Xander that makes me think otherwise. And so I guess the question is, 
is it, you said meet halfway, and I'm just trying to figure out what that looks like. I mean, I agree, by the way, we should, we should be uh, exercised, show some grace ourselves in how we talk about a person who wants to be called a, a female or a male. And perhaps they should show some grace to people who may not get it exactly right. You know, we're human beings. We're not, we're not, um, we're not machines and we can't just flip a switch and, and pretend that we view something a certain way when we don't. But, uh, but you know, isn't there some demand that we can place on people to, to try to be sensitive to this person who wants to define themselves in a certain way and over time allow ourselves, uh, put the onus on ourselves to, to adjust to that reality? Well, I guess what you say with Xander is it would be completely unnatural to use uh, female pronouns because it would be, you know, it is what you see in front of you. And that's the way, that's the way that it always used to be. I was talking about, you know, one, one of the tests that was so that uh, in most situations in, in everyday life, people would use she, her pronouns for me because it's easier. It's it fits the uh, it fits what they see in front of them. So it works. It it, it makes it makes the rest of life easy, easier. Now, if you've got a situation where somebody is male, uh, looks like a male, uh, gives all the uh, impression of being a male, but then says, I demand that you use she, her pronouns, that just uh, makes it really difficult for everybody else. And it's, a matter, it's only going to be a matter of time before somebody messes up because people try to be kind, but you've got a million and one other things to do in life as well, rather than be just thinking about somebody's pronouns. <laughs> right. And, uh, and, it, and people, and I just feel for people in this situation, they've said, these are my pronouns, please use them. And then people keep messing up. And it must be almost in a situation where they're, they're waiting for people to mess up. And how, you know, you're not going to have much in the way of confidence and security at all. So, you know, I just, I just feel people are setting themselves up for uh, disappointment. Right. And, and it's, a, it's uh, not a good social model for change either. If people feel that they're walking on eggshells or that they could be slammed at any moment, it doesn't give them an opportunity to get to know you, to humanize you, and then to change their thinking in a more organic way either. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I hate it when people, because it, it's become a point now where if once once people realize that you're trans, they, they desperately not to upset you and they will walk on eggshells around you. And I hate it. I'm a human being and I've got interests well away from being trans. And I right. just want to be treated like a human being, not as a, you know, not as something to be wrapped in cotton wool. Can I ask one uh, more question, Jennifer? Please. Okay, so, okay, so uh, I know you've written a lot about children going through therapy, uh, hormonal therapy, early, or even parents allowing their four-year-old to be thought of as the opposite gender and raising them in that way. Um, you know, it gets tricky when when it, your teenager starts to ask about becoming another, going through a transition. At what point, um, what should the process be for parents who are struggling through this uh, about about when they might allow their teen to explore or uh, go to the next level, getting hormonal therapy. How do you think about those issues? Right. I think I, I am going to use. I, I was a bit nasty to you before, David, about gender, about mm -hmm. what it is. But I, we 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 all know what about how we express ourselves, and we we know what that means. Uh, I 
I think that children should be able to express themselves, you know, how they feel comfortable. But we shouldn't be telling children that they're really the opposite sex. And I think it's regressive. I think we should be uh, bringing children up if a girl wants to, and this is stereotypical, if a girl wants to go and climb trees, play with trucks, run around, you know, playing football, then let her let her do that. Don't don't try don't tell her that she's really a boy, and and vice versa. We 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 as human beings we're varied. We've got we're all different, and we shouldn't be fitting into boxes. Now, what worries me is that children very young who are gen who are who are gender nonconforming do you know do concern their parents and gender nonconforming children have, have already uh, have, have always uh, you know concerned parents because they worry about children not fitting in but i worry that this transgender movement has produced this like this pre-packed solution to uh, turn your gender nonconforming daughter into your gender uh, conforming son and i don't think that's helpful i think it's taking people from one box into another when we should be letting children be free to be themselves. The uh, the concern about going down a route which heads towards medication and surgery is the impact on long-term impact on health. We don't know what the what this is impact is going to have. Uh, certainly on fertility, uh, you know, the to take away somebody's ability or potential to have their own children before they before they're a grown adult just seems to me to be uh, wholly irresponsible to be actually making making these uh, these treatments available i think it's wrong and uh, you know historical studies have shown that children who are struggling with you know with their sex uh prefer to be the other sex between 60 and 90 percent of them desist it goes away by itself the studies to show that uh but children who have been put on a you know have been affirmed young and then get medication to block their puberty uh, they don't because they get they're almost like on a treadmill through and there's 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 very difficult for them to uh, step off this and uh, it's not something that I think we should be doing. I worry as well is in that uh, the uh, the actual you know the identification itself actually doesn't actually seem to uh, improve people's mental health. The reason I transitioned was to uh, improve my mental health and it did. Uh, whereas there are children, and it has been documented, where you know the gender dysphoria, the the mental distress follows uh, transgender identification. There's something there's something wrong going on here, and we shouldn't be uh, we shouldn't be throwing drugs and uh, potential surgeries at children before they've grown up and know what it means to be an adult. Just want to ask a quick follow up on on that. There's also the argument, of course, that puberty blockers prevent, especially a uh, a natal male, from um, developing such male characteristics that their later transition is less convincing to them, convincing to others, and therefore you're harming their future ability to live in the way that they want. How, what do you think of that? Doesn't harm mine. Uh... I'm quite tall. I'm six foot, so I can see over crowds. So I uh, I like that. I like being tall. Uh, my voice is my voice is deep, but other than that, things get on fine. But and uh, you know one thing one thing which you know children do need to be aware of is that 
to go through a full transition and have male to female gender surgery, needs, the surgeon needs some spare parts to work with. And if the child never goes through uh, puberty, those spare parts actually never develop to the size that which the which the uh, they need to get to. Mm. And the surgical techniques have been developed for adults, and it's it's become it's become routine. Now the story of uh, Jazz Jennings, the American teenager, when you when you look at what Jazz went through, because Jazz never had the uh, had the tissue which I did. Uh, it involved various bits of abdominal tissue, and it didn't work very well. Mm. So there is something about male puberty going through it. Yes, it makes me taller. Yes, it makes my voice deeper. But it's uh, it had advantages in other ways, as mm. a, a, a as a trans woman now. Understood. Debbie, I want to hear more about you. Um, so you decided, speaking of transition, I think this is a good segue. I mean, you decided later on and you for mental health issues, which I think is really, I'd love to hear more about that, that you just felt better in the world identifying as a female. But for a, a good part of your life, more, more, more of your life than, than, than identifying as a female, you are male and you, you have children as well. Was there something outside of just like a kind of a, a depression or, you know, a mental health question was there something for you that um, was a turning point? Uh, the turning point was w w when my life collapsed was realizing that other people were transitioning and I could too. Uh, when it was something which just, it, it, it didn't seem possible. Uh, I heard of people transitioning. It was something I desperately wanted to do from when I was, when I was very young, actually. Okay. But it was just something that was not possible. You know, people like me didn't transition. People like me went to school, got a job, had a family. That's what we did. Uh, this, the, the transsexualism I read about was uh, esoteric, distant, uh, things that happened on the television. Uh, whereas uh, it was when I found that people were transitioning and people I knew and, he, and the, the internet allows you to get to know people who are transitioning. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the rise of social media around, around 12, 13 years ago, that opened up those doors to me, allowed me to see that other people were transitioning. And I thought, I want that too. And it became an insatiable need at that point. And that's when I had to transition. Well, and you said something, I wrote this down because it was really actually, again, a very simple question, but it kind of blew my mind is when David asked you, um, you know, how you felt, you're like, I, I only can speak for myself. I can only speak for Debbie, but you know, what does it feel like to be female? I mean, I, I here I am as a female and I'm like, that's a brilliant question. I mean, I don't know what it feels like when I, when I really think about it from a philosophical position, I mean. I feel from a societal position, there is a certain feeling, if you will, uh, to, 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 to being, to being female, a lot of it around things like sports and whatnot. And, and, um, you know, kind of more physical attributes of size and whatnot, but I don't know that my brain actually, I mean, I can't jump into a guy's brain and see whether or not, you know, we're thinking different thoughts. I, I, I would say, for me, and you know, so many of my friends, obviously being male, um, I 
one thing that I would think, and I don't know if this is biological or just happens to be a Jennifer thing <laughs> that's different, but I would, I would say my brain, I'm, I'm, I find that men, the men that I know are much more able to compartmentalize thoughts so they can go like, you know, something that happened earlier today that was upsetting, they can put it in a box and take it out later. You know, whereas I feel like women, I always call myself like a noodle brain where I just feel like we're always, everything's going on. Like, you know, we're thinking about, or at least for me, you know, my kid's doing this, you know, my parents are doing this. I've got this going on, work's going here. And it's all in this big, like soup together. <laughs> um, but again, is that, I, I don't know if that's just, that's Jennifer and the, the men that I happen to be with are, are more compartmentalized like that. But I just found that question fascinating. What does it even feel like to be a female brain? But you at some point said, I feel better for my mental health identifying as a female. So I, I want to pull that, push that question back to you again. Was there something outside of like people recognizing you as a female, calling you the pronouns that you felt comfortable with? Was there something identifying with female that made you really come into your own, into, into who you are, who Debbie Hayden is? Does that make sense? I, I feel like I noodled around a lot of issues there, but I'm still working it out in my brain too. Because like when you ask that question, what does it mean to be a female? I'm like, holy crap. I mean, I you know? <laughs> That's a lot of questions. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I kind of like did some like verbal like spewing at you, but... Um, the there is definitely the, the, there's there's definitely differences between the way that women interact with each other and with men and with and the way that men interact with each other and with men and as a teacher i see children uh, you know playing in the yard and girls tend to interact differently to boys from a very young age this isn't you know this isn't uh, you know teenage hormones when you're looking at really little children of 4 and 5 you can you can look at children and you think I bet that's a girl. I bet that's a boy. The way that the way that they interact, but there is overlap. There are boys who, uh, you know, there's boys who are quiet and there's girls who are very active. So there is there is overlap. We can't use this as a way of saying, oh, you're a you're a boy because of this and you're a girl because of this. Uh, it's you know, so there are there are you know there are diff there are trends, I guess, but it, that doesn't characterize you and it doesn't define you. As a as a man or a woman, and I'm 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 the same as I always was. If you analyse me, Jennifer, I compartmentalise well. I do all those man things just the same way as I always did, and I still do them. You know that. So in terms of how I think, it's it's stereotypically male rather than stereotypically female. Mm. So it was something I'm, different to that. I'm an expert compartmentalizer. Just saying. Um, well, I'm so, the only noodle brain in this conversation. That's you're awesome. You're the only noodle brain in this conversation. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, so I still struggle with how the trans issue became such a centerpiece of the current social discourse and the sort of ideologically charged culture wars of our time. I, in some ways, it, I understand race and racism. That's been around a long time. It's been sort of the, the Achilles heel of American society and many other societies. Yet it seems like the transition almost came out of nowhere and, is, and almost uh, competes for our mind share today as one of the contentious issues. I mean, we've had, we're, we're, we have another guest who's trans. We've, you're our third in the, you know, in the last uh, couple months. So 
obviously it's got currency and I don't know, I mean, I know, uh, I don't know why. Um, is it that, that there are trans activists who are demanding things that society um, is not ready to provide? Is it that society is denying trans people the sort of self-actualization that they uh, aspire? How would you describe the reason why this org issue has gotten such currency overnight? Well, it's bizarre. I, I'm, I'm not denied anything, really. Uh, the, the law in the UK where I live is, is very, uh, you know, it, it's very good to trans, trans people. We, we, uh, we can't be treated less favourably. We can't be sacked from our jobs for being trans. We can't be denied goods and services. Uh, the police are quite concerned about, you know, transphobic abuse. They will, they will investigate that. Life's really good for trans people. It really is. Uh, so it's quite bizarre when I hear about people feeling, you know, the most downtrodden uh, group of people, uh, you know, suffering major oppression. I don't. You know, it, it doesn't. It doesn't happen. Uh, I, you know, I, I, uh, I do have privilege. I, uh, I recognise that. You know, I'm white. I'm. Uh, I speak English. I'm educated. I'm professional. I'm, you know, in my early 50s, I am at the pinnacle of privilege in, in, in Western society. And then I transitioned and I got even more because uh, suddenly uh, and then, you know, pe people do tread on eggshells around me. They want to know what I'm thinking about. If I hadn't transitioned, I, I wouldn't be speaking here. I wouldn't be writing articles in the press. Uh, so by transition, I got even more privilege. Uh, so that's the truth. But then. We uh, we also hear male to female other female to female trans people who are then claiming to be some sort of victims in this, and that brings you an awful lot of power. If somebody who is very privileged can then play the victim, then suddenly they are very powerful because nobody can challenge them, nobody can upset them, nobody can uh, uh, can disagree with them at times uh, for fear of uh, divine retribution. So uh, this is really quite attractive to people. And it tends to be the male to female side. You know, it's, you know, your, uh, your trans man friend, uh, you know, it's, it's different. You know, this is, this, is, this is a movement which is being, uh, which is being uh, driven by males who, uh, who uh, you know, who have privilege and get even more privilege and then claim to be some sort of victim. And then uh, the world dances around them. No wonder it's become a it's become a big thing. It's a it is a vehicle to uh, you know to uh, you know to uh, even more privilege. Mm. Yes, it still mystifies me why um, on both sides it seems so blood. I, there there are people when I when I look at what might come out of a right wing outlet that uh, like a media outlet that insists that. Um, these are men pretending to be women, or then I see that stores like Target then um, refuse to carry Abigail Schreier's book. I just think there's so much discourse in between these extremes that is not being heard in society. It seems like the only people willing to challenge trans radical trans ideology are right-wing conservatives so that's the argument that we hear which to me seems a bit insensitive and on the other hand then we hear trans ideologues 
talk about, you know, why it's uh, transphobic to deny, a, a, you know, a 14-year-old uh, therapy. So I, I feel like we need to give voice to people who are able to articulate a bit of a third way where we're sort of sorely missing that discourse in society now. And um, I'm grateful, by the way, that you're you're one of those voices. You're not you're not there to uh, to deny people their dignity, and you're not there to impose your views on others. And I think that's very refreshing. Okay, there is different. There, the, the politics in the U.S. is different to the politics in the U.K. How, how so? Yeah, what would you say uh, the biggest part of that is? There are there was a group of left wing trade unionist women uh, four years ago who started campaigning on this. So it's it's not the same left right left right issue in the UK as it is in the US. Although our left wing parties have become they've become very uh, unfriendly to people with views like like mine. And although I am a I'm a member of the Labour Party, I am a I, I'm I mean uh, you know it, this this is me. Uh, but uh, we don't have the same partisan left left right uh, divide on it. So we have thinkers on the left in the UK who are, I would say, a, a rational scientific thinkers who, yes, are saying that trans people should be treated with dignity and respect, their rights should be protected, we should go the extra mile if they, you know, to uh, provide, as I said, about the sporting facilities. Yes, let's, let, 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 let's spend some money. Let's spend some money here. Mm. So there are people there. Now, I've not picked up, I've not picked up the same in the US where it does seem to be uh, much more polarized, uh, and the people who are standing against the uh, the ideology, you know, some of them, some of them are standing against trans people as well, which uh, is different to what we see here. That's interesting. I, I've got. I want to go back to something that we were talking about um, with biological differences. So. My my question, going back to kind of like the 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 male the the male female brain, do you think outside of the physical differences that are obvious, do you think that there are biological differences in the way um, males and females their brains work at all, or is that just it doesn't matter? It's all the individual. Yeah, there's differences in the way that everybody's brain works because we're all individuals. We're all we're, yep. we're all unique individuals. But uh, on on every, I hate to use the word spectrum, I don't want to use that, <laughs> but on every axis there is a spread, there's a male spread and there's a female, the spread of females, and the two overlap. But there is a, the, the, there are biases, you know, there mm. are biases. One in, in, in Jungian psychology, or, or what the Myers-Briggs has picked up, that, uh, you know, in, in Myers-Briggs in speak, uh, women... Two thirds of women are F preference and one third are T, and T preference, and in men it's the other way around. Now I'm a T preference, my wife's a T preference, so it doesn't you always fit. But whenever you get a, a large group of women and a large group of men, the 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 average will be in two different places, and I think I think we all know that. But those what are you on Myers Briggs? Now that you've mentioned it, I'm an ISTJ. ISTJ. Mm. Wow, that's not a common. Profile, I don't think. ISTJ. Interesting. I, we, we talked about this the other day. I'm INFP. So again, what you were just saying, uh, so for, for people who aren't Myers-Briggs, um, you know, uh, uh, um, to translate, the F is for feeling. 
And the T is for thinking. Thinking. So what you're saying is um, typically, like, well, not typically, because again, we're all individuals, and and that I true that that part I truly believe in. But you would say more women fall on the F feeling spectrum of the Myers Briggs, and men fell on the T or thinking. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I yeah. am an IFP. But what are you again, David? You are I. I am an ENTP. Okay, so yeah, yeah you too. Very are... typical ENTP, by the way. I mean, yeah, like... I know that. Yeah, you are. He is. <laughs> He's the extrovert of us. <laughs> I I have two sons. One is ENTP, and the other one is INFP. Hmm. Oh my gosh! So he's me. We we are. He's me. I didn't mean that. soulmates. Yeah. We're soulmates. <laughs> I mean that. Yeah, that's fascinating. But so I guess that goes though to to my question. I mean, you know, if you are going to stereotype and 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 generalization and stereotype is what I'm doing here. I acknowledge that from the get go. But women would be more considered in the feeling. You know, physical aside, if you're talking about brains and emotions, feeling and thinking. And so I guess that 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 kind of addresses my question. I mean, we're all individuals. Is that really a stereotype? I guess I'm going to push back on you, Jennifer. Oh, go. Is that is that a stereotype, or is that sort of a tendency that exists in in fe among females? I mean, and it you know, as as Debbie was saying, if I'll use the word spectrum, if you won't, if there's a spectrum <laughs> for uh, each each uh, sex, and those there's overlaps, it would be correct, accurate to say that there's a majority of females who are like this and there's a majority of men who are like that uh, but but there are men and women on both extremes mm -hmm. that don't abide by those uh those those majority traits right yeah. and i and I, I think we should be willing to talk about uh these biological realities it's clearly clearly gender look i, I think is at least partially socially constructed. I mean, there are aspects of gender that are assigned by society. You know, um, you know, I, I, I think if you, you know, um, dolls and trucks. I mean, probably have some social valence. But then again, it's no accident that boys play a certain way and that girls play a certain way, and that you see that cross culturally as well. So we we can. I think we have to become nuanced enough to be able to say something can be both uh, biologically determined to a degree and socially determined to a degree. And we have to just figure out what the percentages are. And it might differ from individual to individual even. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we should be giving children the same opportunities, of offering them the same opportunities, the same, you know, same experiences, whether they're, whether they're boys or girls. And yeah, but the uh, the the way in which children interact with each other that doesn't determine their sex. The sex is purely determined by their by their biology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I, I feel like some of the pushback, you know, David, to you of uh, people not wanting to define um, biological differences in 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 our personalities or what you know outside of the physical is there is this sense. I believe, like we we're talking about the Briar Miggs, Briar Miggs, Briggs Meyer, sorry. Myers, Meyer Briggs. Myers, <laughs> okay, my getting tongue tied with my wine. Um, but you know, I mean, that there is a almost a hierarchy, right? So if you're feeling that's not as good as thinking, and, and that's where I have a problem is I love being a woman. I love being, you know, the, the, the feeling type, like I have no problem with that. So to me, it's, it's kind of breaking that hierarchy down where it's okay to, 
to have these biological differences and still have the same um, access to, I, I, I don't know, access to, to, to just general humanity. Uh, respect for each other's differences. Dig dignity, dignity, yes. Right. And val value, correct, correct, correct. Right. We need all of the above. We need people who are thinkers. We need people who are feelers. Dominant, by the way, I feel too. I'm a T. I'm a T. But uh, and uh, society is better off when we sort of respect these differences in our fundamental attitudes and behaviors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's. I guess maybe we need to expand our understanding of diversity. I mean, I think Myers Briggs is one way of thinking about it. I think obviously. Uh, expanded understanding of what gender might be as a way of thinking about it. Certainly our viewpoints and our intellectual differences and our ideological differences are another way of thinking about diversity. And I think we'll be a better society if we all sort of expand what we mean when we say diversity and we don't just think about it in these very narrow terms that the current ideological discourse imposes on us. Well, that's just- You agree or is that just a rant? No, 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 no. I just, I think that the thing is, is that we don't have conversations like this that often. You know, because what what we talked about at the very beginning, we walk on eggshells like, you know, did I say this right? Were you offended? I mean, we're just so we're hypersensitive and, um, you know, we live in a, in a, a, a offense culture where Debbie, you mentioned this, you know, I mean, I think that there is um, some power to be gained sometimes in 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 being offended. And, and so we don't have these genuine conversations. It's just easier not to. Yeah, if you. Uh... If I can, uh, if I can get my way by being offended, there's this this power there, and uh, these conversations aren't happening, and just because people are concerned about, and for for some they're good reasons. They, they, they people don't want to upset other people, so we'll we'll not have the conversation. But only by having the conversations, you actually explore what it means to be what it means to be human, rather than trying to guess what it means to be human. You know, we mm. we, we need to we need to talk about these things. Uh, we and being able to, uh, the, you know, one thing we, we need to hold on to is we need to be able to talk and we need to be able to disagree with each other while respecting each other, and that seems to be something which we're, we're losing. Yes, uh, yes. it's important, is that? Yes, yes, right. that is one of my favorite quotes. I forgot who said it, but something along the lines of, um, you know, just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I hate you, kind of a, I mean, but, but that's where we're at, that's where we're at. Yeah, we need a no more eggshells campaign. You know, I just feel uh, yesterday I was on a podcast with uh, three African Americans, um, and uh, one of the hosts said, I can't stand it when white people feel like they have to walk around eggshells. It's dehumanizing to me when they do that. It's, it's an exercise of power if I were to force them to do that. And it means that I'm not, they're not seeing me as another human being. And I think mm -hmm. in general, we're losing that in this current ideological environment. I mean, I, I learn much better when I'm able to experiment with my thoughts and my words than if I feel like I'm confined to a specific discourse that insists I speak a certain way and think a certain way. And um, I'm much more likely in some ways to understand you as a human being if you allow me to say something that might not adhere to a predetermined discourse. And it feels good to have those conversations. I feel richer for it and more human. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, Debbie, it's, it's, a, 
it's a pleasure to, to get to know you. I hope this is the first of many conversations. And I guess my last question for you is, um, what's next? I mean, you're a physics teacher. That's awesome. I, I, I'm a chemistry person myself, but you know, um, you're writing, is there, is there a book coming up? Is there, what, what, what's, what's up next on your agenda? Well, I always think I couldn't possibly write any more on this. Uh, but there's always more, you know. There's, there's some something crazy will happen, and the, and and it takes me by surprise. And you know, I I think well, surely I've written about everything that can be written. But then something else will happen. And then Jonathan Yaniv, Jonathan Yaniv shows up on the scene, right? Well, yeah, Yaniv, Yaniv is there, and oh, is it yes, right? and and there the, 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 the will there will there will be others. You know, right. we we we've you know, there's been issues. You know, just this week, where and children, children are being are, are the biggest concern of mine. Where you know there was a, a family on daytime TV in the UK. They didn't have, they didn't have the kids with them, but their their two year old came out as trans, and they were so proud of this child as this age. I'm thinking this is this is just not not right. And to but to be able to try and write about that without uh, demonising the parents. It is quite it's quite tricky because you have to call it. I I call I think it's wrong, so I call it out as wrong, but without demonising the parents. Yeah, that's a uh, fine line. <laughs> but uh, I do I do have a I do have a book I wrote and I can't get it published. Mm. Uh, the uh, you know the LGBT press. It, it was it was a book about my own experiences. It's autobiographical and actually going through my uh, experiences of gender surgery I uh, it was a bigger mental it had more mental impact on me than I ever thought it would do and I, I kept I kept a detailed uh, diary at the time journal at the time and uh, while I was uh, recovering from surgery my task was to uh, I wrote it all up but uh, at that time that was going back about five six years and publishers were interested but the more uh, the, the the more controversial my other work was the less they were interested in this. It's, it's difficult, you know. I, I could try. I could try trying to uh, market it again, but uh, but yeah, uh, people talk. People talk about saying, "Well, you should you should put your thoughts in about this all this campaign in some sort of logical sequence in a book." Because the trouble is, I've written I've written about one hundred and fifty thousand words, so I've written plenty. I can't remember where I've written it. People will say, you wrote about this. I can't remember. I can't remember where it is. Uh, so a book a book would be useful, but it, it's finding the time to do it. Life is busy. On top of this campaigning, I've got, you know, I'm teaching. I'm representing my colleagues. I've got, you know, I've got a life to live. And uh, right. it's, there's, a lot, there's a lot going on. Well, I hope you keep on writing and speaking. Yeah. You're a really important voice out there. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hold My Drink. Like or subscribe to the show and check out the show notes for links to source material and to our website where you can find what each of us is reading every week. Different news with different views. If you have a topic that you would like us to explore, drop us a line. And join us next week as we say Hold My Drink and the conversation gets real.